We are back with another episode of the Coys R Us podcast. This is episode 39. I'm Joel. I've got Kim with me. It's a two-person pod today. And yeah, we've had some logistical issues, which I know we've said before. And I know you're probably thinking, you guys just didn't want to record after Newcastle. You guys probably just didn't want to record an episode after Newcastle, which we didn't. You're right. But that's not why we didn't record. Because um, there was uh, Newcastle, then United, and then Liverpool, <laughs> which are three ridiculous matches that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit. Um, but we, it's just a lot going on. Like, it's just that time of the year when, when folks got stuff uh, going on. So you know how that is. Kim. How we feeling? Yes. Um, like better than I was feeling the last time I was here. Um, I would say the last time I was probably on the pod. Uh oof, I'm trying to think about when that was because I think I missed the last one you guys recorded. Um before that. So it'd been a while. So, you know, at the time I think the last time I was on the pod, Selene might have still been the manager. <laughs> I don't even know, know if we got the a, pod a, a before Mason. last was um, right after we had we lost to Burnmouth in the ninety fifth minute, and so that, that was, was a Stellini. That was the last Stellini match, or was that uh, that was Stellini? I don't know if it was his last match, but it was Stellini. I think Mason has no been- Stellini's. Stellini's uh, last match was that. Back for Newcastle, Pedro Porro, yeah. So yeah. okay, so so yeah. So it's definitely a bit different since then. You at least feel like the squad, um, you know, even though there are mistakes happening, you you can still see like they're trying. Like everything might not be perfect, but it at least feels like Mason is like trying to galvanize them to work together to fight for each other and even when stuff does go wrong, like, yeah, um, it sucks to give up, you know, those two goals to Man United very early. It sucks to give up those three goals to Liverpool very early. But in both those matches, you could see a definite, just an idea that, all right, this is not great, but we're still going to keep fighting. And that's not what we really got when we played Newcastle. You never felt like they were really going to fight for anything in that match. And the one thing I can say in the last few weeks, you can at least say like, yeah, it looks like they're fighting for something. And it sucks that that's where we are at this point in the season. But, you know, going into next year, you you want to see which guys continue to fight for the team, which guys uh, put their best foot forward. And I think that's that's really like the, the end goal, I think, is just trying to see who you want to keep around um, as a club. Yeah, I mean, I think there is something to ending the season on a strong note. Like, regardless of how the season goes, I think back to a couple years ago um, when we had Christian Bale, which I think was the 1920 season um, or the 2021 season. And I think we that was when we finished seventh to qualify for the conference league. And like that was a season that by all accounts did not go well. There was a lot of 
bad performances, um, losing to a team whose coach was in prison. Like there was just a lot of bad things that happened <laughs> that season, but like winning those last few games, beating Lester in the final match. I think Bale had a brace in that match. And by the way, I'm still, I still haven't forgiven Jose for not playing Bale more that season, but that's, that's a separate, I could do a whole podcast on that, but I think there is something to ending the season well and like giving the fans a little bit of a boost and something to be excited for going into the next year. By most accounts, this season is pretty much a wash. The only thing that we have left to play for is whether we're going to make a European competition or not. Liverpool's passed us. Brighton, I don't think, has passed us quite yet. If I'm looking at the standings, uh, they are behind us by two points, but they have two games in hand. So for all intents and purposes, they will pass us. And so the only thing that's really left for our season is, is whether we finish seventh or eighth. Uh, eighth right now is Aston Villa, who we play on Saturday, so we'll get to that. Um, so this does feel like the last important match of the season. Yeah. With that said, I mean, looking at the last few results, we had the Newcastle match, which was just a complete shambles. You followed that up <laughs> with the Man United game, which looked like a shambles in the first half. We, again, gave up two goals in the first half and then came storming back in the second half that showed a little bit of resolve. The Liverpool match was more of the same. We gave up three goals in 15 minutes, showed some resolve in the second half, and then Lucas Moura did what he did. It felt like the Crystal Palace match was one where we actually did what we needed to do in the first half instead of waiting for us to be behind right and and if you look back at the last three matches and you know you think about Newcastle they scored five goals in 21 minutes then you went to United scored two goals in the first half one in seven minutes the next in the 44th and then Liverpool scored three in 15 so it felt like we were just leaking goals very early in games. And then at least in the final two matches, Man United and Liverpool, we seem to kind of like galvanize in the second half. Crystal Palace is obviously not on the same level as Newcastle United and Liverpool, but it was nice to see us like actually start off games the way that we played in the second half of the previous two. Yeah, I'd I'd agree on that. Um, it was nice to, and you could see that they were trying things going forward. And I think uh, some of what we saw with Conte, and that's might be something that like um, Mason has also done. He seems to have like free guys up to feel like they can go forward, and obviously sometimes that gets you leaking the goal if if a guy's not doing you know getting in the right place correctly, but. I still feel like the football has been more interesting to watch, even if there haven't been as many yeah. wins. Um, and so, you know, when you're not winning, <laughs> you still want to be able to enjoy it. <laughs> and that's like kind of like what we have not really experienced is like usually when we lose, it 
like, yeah, it sucks when you lose. It will always suck when you lose, but it sucks when you lose and it, it feels like you didn't even put in the requisite effort or it feels like you were never really in the game. <laughs> it does feel like we have been bringing up the Knicks a lot lately uh, and, you know, apologies, but we're in the middle of a playoff run. And as Knicks fans, we haven't had very many of those. But a lot of what you're saying reminds me of the Knicks. Like, I think right now we're in a playoff series against the Miami Heat. Um, and it felt like a few of the games that we lost right now, you know, the Knicks are down in the series, 2-3. We were down 1-3, one last night to kind of pull a game back. And in the three games that we lost, it felt like they were just trying harder than the Knicks, right? Like the Heat were just getting two and three rebounds on possessions, uh, winning every loose ball, getting to the free throw line, like doing the things that you do in a basketball game to try to win, to show a little effort. And last night in the game that the Knicks finally won, it felt like they were they were getting the 50-50 balls and they were getting more rebounds and getting to the free throw line more, like all of the things that the Heat did to thrive, the Knicks were able to do. And that sounds a lot like what you're saying about Spurs. Like it's one thing if you try hard and you lose, then you could tip your cap and say like, okay, the other team was maybe just better on the night or maybe they just had better players or whatever the case may be. But when you lose because the team just hasn't shown the requisite effort, it's, I think as a fan, a lot harder to swallow because it's like, we didn't even earn that loss. You know, like it's not like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's one thing if you just get beat, then you're like, okay, like that's a loss that I that I can take because it was a loss that was deserved. But when you don't even try, then it feels like you lost for nothing. And I think that was a lot of what we were feeling against Newcastle, against Burnmouth, the draw against Everton, the draw against Southampton. Um, it's funny, someone uh, put in one of my DC Spurs group chats, um, there was like a prompt that some social media site had posted that said, you know, what, what was your, what has been your club's biggest disappointment in this season? <laughs> and the first thing I thought when I saw it was like, I'm supposed to just pick one. <laughs> like you. So then you I thought time. about like, thought about like, what, what were the moments this season where I felt the most disappointed? And I automatically thought of two. One was losing one nil to Sheffield to knock us out of the FA Cup. <laughs> and the second was the second leg against Milan where we were already down a goal and just like didn't at any point look like we were trying to score. And then yeah, I looked I it up and it, <laughs> which I had forgotten at the time, but those games were actually in the same week. <laughs> so we lost to Sheffield United on March 1st. Three days later, on March 4th, we lost away to Wolves in the league, 1-0. And then on March 8th, we drew to Milan, 0-0 to knock us out. of. The so we, we were knocked out of the FA Cup and the Champions League in the span of seven days. So yeah. that was my answer. <laughs> that was the biggest disappointment of this season was basically that week. Um, and, like, I think that's exactly what you're saying about the past week, even the comeback against United and the comeback that should have been a draw against Liverpool. It's like you're seeing glimpses of team of a team that's trying to push and a team that's trying to score. 
and a team that's trying to take to get the destiny of the game into their own hands. I think what makes the Sheffield game and the Milan game so frustrating and why I would count those as the biggest disappointment points of the season, not only because they knocked us out of cup competitions, but I think those are two games that were must-win games that we didn't actually try to win. Like, we tried to just play defensive football, and it didn't it didn't work. Particularly when you're down a goal on aggregate and you're not actively trying to score a goal. It's like, I, I mean, say what you want about Stellini, say what you want about Mason, but at least we're scoring goals. And I feel like we weren't even... The goals, majority of the goals that we scored under Conte this season were either set pieces or goals that Kane just created out of thin air. And even if you look at the Liverpool game, we lost that game, but we scored three goals at Anfield. I don't remember the last time we've done that. And we scored three goals with three different forwards. When's the last time we've done that? Right. And then even if you think about you know, even if you think about Stellini, that was also when we went and beat Chelsea and West Ham back to back. Then Conte yeah. comes back, and then we then that's when we go on that bad run against Sheffield Wolves in in Milan. We beat Forest, and then we have that draw against Southampton, and that's when everything just kind of fell apart. So. Yeah. I think one of the common themes that you hear amongst Spurs fans is this idea that you'd rather see the team lose 4-3 than than win 1-0, right? I don't know that that's a universal belief amongst every Spurs fan. I think that there is probably a a good subset of the fan base that would prefer to win games 1-0. But then, you know, you have those conversations about Spurs DNA and what that means and, and whether that's something that we should value more than trying to eke games out. And I think after the Jose era and after the Conte era, it, it is nice to see a team that's actually going for it. And I think, I mean, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's hard to still believe in the one nil win philosophy because (laughs) it hasn't worked quite frankly particularly when you don't have the back line and the goalie to be able to pull it off like you can't play defensive football with poor defenders so that's number one and number two like I just don't think we're that club yeah I don't either um I think you'd really have to you'd really have to get in some like high quality defenders to be able to make that work. And there was never at any point that you could say we even bought like the best defender that was out there. Like that's the kind of guy you need to make a truly defensive team work. You got to have guys that think defensively that play defensively. But then when you do, I mean, this goes back to that article that you shared um, in one of our group chats about the state of defending in the Premier League, which I thought it was, I just read it today. I actually thought it was very fascinating um, yeah. just hearing what people thought and and why that is. And it's it's kind of true when you when you think about the teams that like have possession, 
a lot of times the goals that they do give up when you think about a team like us when we play city the goals that they will they'll always give up is if they're playing a high line they get beat behind like yeah as spurs this year we'd get beat in behind we'd provide i mean i think at this point we've assisted ourselves like three or four goals in the box (laughs) this season um you can just see that we don't have the players and so it it's like i feel like our guys some of them are decent on the ball i would say like romero is pretty good on the ball um funny enough seeing emerson like tuck in as a like third center back or um at times uh like i've been thinking to myself that he'd look decent in midfield but seeing him do that unless obviously palace is not the the best team to to take a look at to see how he would perform in general but like he's pretty pretty good if you're just trying to get a guy to move the ball along and find some passes on the inside like he's not the worst guy to have there um that's why the, some people are so ready to sell him. I'm like, that guy is, you'll always be good for, for rotation if he's not good for anything else. Like, I, I'm i not the person who? that's like, you, you, you know, you still hear people, people still trying to sell Emerson? Like, that's, they that's would. Absolutely. That's absolutely mad. Emerson's, I mean, turned, Emerson's turned his entire season, his entire profile around this season. I'm saying he's, he's one of the few bright spots that we've had this year. And so for me, I mean, I, I, I'm preaching, you're preaching to the choir. It's, it's not, it's not me that's saying this, but it seems obvious though, to anyone that's watching the games, he's, he's been a bright spot for this, really this season. When you think about it, him, Kane, Bentenker have really been like the only three bright spots we've the, had and Skippy yeah, probably, I guess I'd throw in there as well. But I, that's all to say is I feel like no matter where we go forward, Emerson has a place on this team. And, you know, I'm I'm happy to see what he can do for us uh, going forward. Because um, I think if we're going to keep playing Poro, that him tucking in behind might be might be a thing another coach decides to do. Because if you want to get the best out of Poro, I think you're going to have to support him in a way um, on his side defensively. I I How do you feel you about Poro? He is really good going forward. Um, I mean, his his crossing, like he's now taking like all set pieces, like in against Palace. He took like corners from the right side, corners from the left side. He's taking all the free kicks. Like he's now the guy on the ball in dead ball situations, which is nice to have. Like it's nice to have a guy that you can rely on in dead ball situations. It's nice to have a guy that when nothing else is really going right, like, I mean, that run that he made for Kane's goal was great. Like just yeah, being willing to, to bomb. I mean, being willing to bomb forward like that, finding yourself in the right position. I mean, that was a great pass by Kane. He did one of those, like, I'm just going to flip, flip this over here. And, you know, he knows Poro's going to run onto it. And he, and then Kane just puts himself in a good position. Like he's far enough away from, I guess who was defending him, Anderson. But he was far enough away from Anderson to um for him not to even matter. And Anderson, I just didn't even see him over his back shoulder. But Poro put the ball right on Kane's head. Like that's that's the thing that we've been asking for from our right wing back is like, can you put a ball into the box? 
And like for a long time, we could only get good balls into the box on the left side with Perisic. And now I feel like we're actually getting very, very good balls into the box. Like he's, I don't know how many assists he has so far, but he's creating chances and like creating quality chances, like big chances, chances that lead to goal scoring opportunities. And I mean, even his goal scoring prowess, I think like we've already seen him score a couple goals. Um, He hit the bar. Um, against palace um one of his uh corners romero hit the bar you know so i just feel like he does add a lot to the team going forward but you're gonna have to support him in a way like he's gonna be one of those players that you have to build not to say you build your team around him but you put players out there that make up for the shortcomings he might have so like i i think looking to play him as a right-sided midfielder, like he sort of did um, on the over the weekend, might yeah. be an option. And that's where I that's where I think like Mason actually, I, I actually like him, and I think like I'd be willing for him to. I mean, whoever the coach is, I'd be willing for him to stick around for a little while, and then I think he should try and you know do what company did and get his own team, like go somewhere build a profile because I just what I see from Mason is like the guys there like him and I mean of course he's a Tottenham guy so he knows what it is to be Tottenham but he seems to have a pretty good attitude he's pretty good with the media and tactically he seems to try things to to get the best out of his players and so he looked at who he had available and I mean I I missed the game in real time so I didn't like get to see any of the conversation on Twitter around Dyer not starting. Um, well, Dyer didn't start and we got a clean sheet. So, well, that, well, that's what I'm saying. Coincidence? Like, mm. That's a, that's a, that's a decision that like he made and he was just like, these are the, I guess these are the three guys that I think, or the four guys that, cause they were actually, you know, you can look at both, um, uh Davies and um Davies on the left and um Emerson on the right they're sort of both more defensively astute than they probably are inclined than they are um offensively going forward obviously they both offer their own things offensively but you think of them more as defenders um even though they're right backs left backs right wing backs left wing backs you know well Um, Davis is definitely more offensively inclined than Emerson that's for sure yeah but like, yeah, you would, but you, but jury, and, and so you did, you saw that in the, in the match, you would see Davies more playing that left wing back role and sort of like um, Emerson tucking in as a, like a third center back, sort of like the way Davies used to do it when, um, when Jose was here, he used to do that a lot and have Davies like tuck in as like a third center back. Um, so yeah, I just feel like Mason he's inventive he tries things like even here early in the season when we played City and Dyer was stepping up to midfield apparently that was a thing that Mason thought they should do and so a lot of what we saw this season we just were it just felt like everything was bereft of creativity like there was we never changed anything we didn't try anything different it wasn't working it wasn't working it wasn't working and it, it never was let's try something else because this is not working and then every time Conte did it, it was sort of confirmation bias because he would try something else and it wouldn't work and they wouldn't do it again. Or he wouldn't try something else. He would just be like, well, I was going to go back to what I did before. That was working. Maybe it'll work again. And, and the thing I see about 
Mason is he he goes, all right, that wasn't working. I'm gonna try something different. And so when what do you I think saw changed between last season and this season, because I feel like we've like I feel like we experienced two Contes. And <laughs> and, and the interesting thing about it is like when it blew up, it felt so ugly. But when we hired him, we knew he was he there was a... it was only, it was only going to last for two years at max because he's he's left every club that he's ever coached at on a bad note. So like we already knew what time it was going to be, but like you know there was a big excitement. Obviously there was better results and we finished fourth. But like what do you think? Because like you said that this season felt like there was such a rigidity, even with Emerson, who I was just heaping praises on for the first half of the season, he was not good. And like, he kept starting anyway, Dyer, same thing, uh, Sonny, same thing. And I feel like he was very hesitant to not only change the lineup, but also change the formation. It was three, four, three every week. It was the same players that had poor performances every week. I don't know that we had the same problem last year. So maybe that's what the difference is. But I mean, last I year know. we we mostly had one game a week for uh much of the sort of like end run where we where we went on our run. Um and they they say like with Conte, it's you know, you can get found out, people pick up on the patterns, it's it then takes a higher level of talent like what Conte did is he came in he organized the group he got them to to work at their patterns they did it it worked and then it seemed like in his second season with us you know people caught on to what he wanted the team to do and like I say when that happens it's it's imperative that you as a coach take that and make changes and I I don't feel like we at any time with Conte made enough changes to cause anything to change it was just making changes to make changes and then like I say it 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 might not work one one match and then you'll never see that guy again or you'll never see that formation again again like out of all the games we played this year I don't know we're we're up in the 40s I guess in in matches played and um we probably played three, four, the same three, four, three with a very similar lineup. You know, if people weren't injured, probably 70 to 80% of the time, maybe probably even more than that. Actually, I can like probably count on one hand, the amount of games that we played where it was like three, five, two or something else. Um, and most of those have happened <laughs> within the last few weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, I can think of like two top, like he did it against United, and then he was like, Yeah, I'm never doing that again. Like, I remember that oh, three five two God. that he put out against United. Um, but it's like, bro, your formation isn't working either. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, and the other thing is, if you're never giving guys an opportunity to do anything other than the same old thing, they're never going to be able to do anything else well. And I think that was a part of the growing pains with after he got sacked, not only with Stellini, but even looking at um, this, the first few games with Mason, like I feel like there was a little bit of a Conte hangover, so to speak, in terms of guys just like not 
knowing how to do the other things because they haven't been asked to do them in over a year. So it's like I've I've been doing the same thing and only being entrusted to do one thing for the past I mean X amount of time. So now it's like now that I have an opportunity and we saw what happening as Newcastle is like, oh let's switch the formation. Guys are completely out of position, completely a shambles because now granted we shouldn't have lost six one because they're professionals at the end of the day. But I do think a lot of that six one had to do with the fact that guys were in positions that they haven't been asked to be in, in over a year. And instead of having an opportunity to work that out against uh, you know, a lower level club, they were doing it against one of the top four teams in, in England. And so not just, just but it was also a way like you, you don't put your team in, in in an away game against a top four rival playing a like playing a system that they never play these 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 individual these like these players the center backs we have on this team have not played in the back two very much they only do it when they're chasing a goal at this point um and like see Pedro Porra at right back it it's just knowing anything about him you just knew it was a mistake <laughs> uh because like i say love love that guy for what he can do going forward but defensively he's got a lot of work to do if he wants to be a competent right wing back in the premier league so uh yeah i just i just felt like again it's it's like the coach's job to put their players in positions to succeed and it's the coach's job to use the talent that they have to try to put them in the best position to succeed. And to me, the best coaches are the ones that do that. The coaches that, you know, try to fit round pegs into square holes are the ones that tend to want to chop and change all the time. And as Spurs, we're not the team that's going to chop and change our team all the time. And I think, you know, just understanding who we are as a club, understanding who we, you know, our next manager feel like needs to understand sort of the ethos of the club. And I think the club needs to be deliberate about what they think that is. They they need to spell out a plan. And I think sort of that's where we've been, where, you know, we've wanted coaches to help us win, but we're not always willing to do everything it requires to win. And so you end up pushing and pulling and I I want to get out of that sort of pushing and pulling and I just want everybody to start moving in the right direction and I think based on what I've what I'm hearing about you know the director of football and the manager search they're very like serious about the person coming in actually being able to develop a culture of pulling people together and I think that's something that we've lacked in the last um I mean, I guess Nuno, he was nice, but you know, those are the two guys, Jose and aye, aye, Conte aye. are are not really guys that, you know, you think of as galvanizing managers, um, especially when things go wrong. And I think that's that's where we really saw um just how, you know, they just weren't great managers for this team because, you know, things were gonna go wrong because we're still in this this rebuild or whatever. We're still needing to rebuild this team. 
So when things go wrong, you need someone who's just going to work with the guys to try to get it to go right. Um, not shit on them every time they you know, talk to the media. I do want to talk about the manager search in a second, but I just start to circle back on a few other things that you talked about. You asked about Pedro Porro. He's played 12 Premier League matches for Tottenham, 11 starts. He has two goals and two assists. Uh, so that's, you know, a pretty good return for him. Just looking at his time at sporting. Um, he played 14 matches for them, 12 starts, two goals, six assists this season. Last season, 23 matches, 19 starts, four goals, three assists. So uh, he's pretty much on par with what he's done in Portugal, I think. It's interesting yeah, not. because he, he and Emerson are kind of yin and yang to a certain extent, right? Like he provides all of the things going forward that Emerson can't. Um, and he also has the defensive liabilities that are the opposite of, of what Emerson can do. Uh, some of his best matches, particularly in years previous, were in the games where he was asked to defend for large stretches. And so... It is it's it's nice to kind of have that dual option of a defensive player and an offensive player. Of course, the perfect player would be one where you could kind of take both of their strengths and put them together, but that's not really how it works. I also wanted to talk a little bit about Kane, who had the the one and only goal in against Palace to win the game. He is now second all time in Premier League goals. I believe the number is two oh nine. He passed Wayne Rooney, who's now third. And, of course, he's chasing Shearer, who is at 260, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So it's probably going to be two more seasons at least. If he's at 209, let's say he finishes with three more goals this season in the last three matches, that'll put him at 212, which leaves him 38 goals short of the record, uh, 48 goals short of the record. So it, it's going to yeah. be at least two, if not two three seasons. more seasons. But he's going to yeah, he's going to pass here with, with Kane. I feel like it's two. Like you can probably expect him to get I don't know twenty to twenty five goals a year. So, and I feel like if he's like even in a couple of years, if he's getting close, yeah, I could see him trying to bag everything. So. um I give him two years. I feel like he'll do it in the next two seasons. Probably by end of what it'll be 2024, 2025. He probably will be the leader. You know? But yeah, there's I the, mean, not not many like other good things. You can only say good things about Kane. Like without him, how many <laughs> we will have scored so so few goals this year. Um you can like it's like he's always he's old reliable at this point. Well, the other record that he just broke with that goal was the most headed goals in a Premier League campaign with 10. So a weird stat, but also I think shows the type of score that he is. Um, Left foot, right foot, headed goals. He's probably... It's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, he's in all likelihood going to break the Premier League scoring record. I mean, how many prolific goal scorers have also won playmaker awards, right? Like, the, 
The fact that he led the league in assists for a season, and he's also one of the best goal scorers of all time. It's just amazing. Um, And I think regardless of future planning, regardless of whether or not we'll lose him on a free, I think, and I've heard other Spurs fans say this, you just have to try to do your best to keep him even if that means you're only going to keep him for one more year. Like, I think he's too good. He's too big a part of who we are as a club and our identity. And I think he's too big of a piece that will be a vital part of luring in a manager that like, you can't, I think you throw so much of your plans in the toilet. If you, don't hold on to him, uh, particularly if you get rid of him voluntarily. So for me, that's a non-starter. He's also has now 26 goals in the league. Um, I will say many of the predictions that I made at the beginning of the season, if you remember, uh, all four of us made predictions before the year started. I'm sh- I, I, I'm I'm were. scared to go back and look at what I said, we're but have to... I know that there were two that I said that came true. Hopefully, come true. One, my bold prediction for the year was that Kane was going to win the Golden Boot with 30 goals. He's not going to win the Golden Boot because Holland went crazy, but he's very close to 30 goals. If he gets four more goals in the last three matches, that prediction will be correct, which was a very bold prediction at the time because he's only scored 30 goals once in his career. The other prediction that I'm pretty proud about was I said that Fraser Foster signing is a sneaky (laughs) good signing and we are going to rely on him at some point this season. And sure enough, uh, here we are. are. Um, I don't remember what I said in terms of where we'd finish in the league, but that's definitely going to be wrong because at this point we're looking at either seventh or eighth. Yeah. But Harry Kane is just all reliable. I think, you know, it's, like, I, I feel like I bring him up every episode and it's kind of just like, what can I say? All right. Like the, you're running out of things to say about how good he is. And it's interesting to see how underrated he still is when he's honestly like one of the best players of his generation. I wonder how much of that has to do with like the whole hashtag rings conversation that he hasn't won a trophy. Part of it is the anti-Spurs bias, I'm sure. Part of it is just the anti-England bias because it feels like players from other countries are kind of romanticized a little bit more than homegrown players. Maybe it's a combination of all three things, but for whatever reason, um, I feel like everybody understands, like they know generally how good he is but you 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 get the sense that he's still not given quite enough credit for how spectacular he is like spurs would be spurs are a shambles (laughs) we'd be so much more of a shambles without this player and um it's honestly just a joy to watch him every week even when i don't enjoy watching spurs matches he'll always end up doing something I mean, even the goal that he scored against Palace this past weekend, it's it's funny because I'm watching the goal, I'm watching the replay even after the goal happened, and I'm like, he created the goal for himself. 
Like that play doesn't happen without Kane pinging that pass to Poro, who then plays the ball back into And I mean, the thing is, is he he passes Poro like all the way open. Like he realizes there's no one over there. And he's like, yeah, if I do this, Poro's going to run onto it. Like he knows. He's like, he's going to make that run. He's going to get to the ball. And then he'll be in acres of open space. Like, yeah. He just, he did. He made that goal for himself. Um, so it's really phenomenal. I mean, he's just a joy to watch and I hope to watch him with the Spurs badge on his chest for as long as possible. And like, if he leaves, then I'll completely understand. But I think Levy also understands this. I think too, is just like, you, you can't get rid of him. Like, yeah. You got to hold on to him for as long as you can. If he leaves on a free, he leaves on a free, but you can't sell him this summer. It's just it's just a non-starter. So I think regardless of what happens, he, he's playing here at least one more year. And I think that's an opportunity to give him a reason to resign. Uh, even if that means just showing a little bit of progress, if that means going and winning the Europa Conference League, like, I don't know what it means, but... Uh, I also feel like Kane wants to stay and it's just kind of like, Hey, give me a reason not to leave. And so that's, that's kind of, I think what next season comes down to, which I think is a good segue into the conversation about managers. Um, Would you give Mason the keys? Not yet. Um, I think being, I think being interim manager of a club is way different than being the manager of a club. And I just think he needs to prove his mettle uh, somewhere else before he does it at Spurs. Like I don't, in the same way that I felt like not, I think he's better, a better coach than this guy, but Lampard really didn't show, like he showed a couple of things in the championship for a couple of years, but I, he, you kind of feel like he got the Chelsea job just because he was a Chelsea guy. Mr. Chelsea. Yeah. I don't want to just give Mason the, the job because, you know, he's Mr. Tottenham. Um, I think like it's, it's been nice to see him grow under a couple of coaches, but I really think he needs to be the guy somewhere else before he can be the guy at Spurs. Yeah, I agree. I was actually having this conversation earlier with other members of uh, the DC board in our group chat. There were a few people that were kind of like, I'm enjoying this ride with Mason and I want it to continue, Um, which I understand because it's like, you know, watching whatever he's doing with the team right now has been (laughs) a lot more fun than what we've been watching at, at previous points this season. But I do feel like it would be a disservice to keep him around almost. Like, I feel like he needs the opportunity to spread his wings, to make his bones, so to speak. Probably in a championship team, you know, go somewhere like QPR and get an opportunity to kind of do the Vincent company thing, right? Not necessarily that he's going to score 100 points like company did, but I think he needs an opportunity to kind of like be the guy somewhere else and then maybe come back and after he's made some progress as the guy, 
I think Tottenham is a little bit too big of a job for a first year, a first, a first time yeah. manager, uh, opposed to like a manager that's kind of done the job somewhere else and then come back uh, to, to, to do it at, at Spurs. Yeah, I would say part of the reason I would like Mason to stick around is I think we probably hire a more progressive coach and I think it would be nice for him to work under someone who thinks of football in a different way than the last couple guys that he worked under. Um, you know, yeah, that's definitely... Jose I mean, and Conte, yeah. so and you like, even get a sense, by the way, that he coaches that he probably wasn't completely on board with some of Conte's tactics. Yeah. Um, because I feel like his approach to football is so different that I imagine that he just, you know, probably wasn't completely in agreement, but just kind of played his role. And this is not me saying that when I say I want him to spread his wings, that's not me saying that, like, I want him to leave Spurs. Cause I do think to your point that like he would benefit from being the number two behind a different coach or just being a part of that coaching staff. I'm not in a rush to get rid of him, but I do think that if he has managerial aspirations, uh, he probably needs to get some experience as a, as a number one somewhere else. Um, We've talked about Nagelsmann before. I'm still on board. The last thing that I've heard is that he is hesitant to sign a contract before we sign a director of football. We know that Paratici is no longer around due to everything that happened in Juventus. So that position is open as well as the coach position. It does feel like a job that needs to be filled before we can find our next gaffer. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I still think that the Nagelsmann thing might happen. They have not really given out much information uh the front office hasn't really leaked a lot of details so it's hard for us to really know what's going on um i was joking in a group chat earlier (laughs) that i can't tell if we're running a process and keeping it close to our chest or just not doing anything at all um and it's hard to be optimistic after what happened two years ago with our search that took 72 days for us to hire Nuno Espirito Santo, who ended up lasting for all of two months. So I don't know. I don't know that this is any different than that year. And that's not to say that it isn't, but I just, I, I just don't know. So we'll see. But I think at the end of the day, and I've said this before on the pod, like I, I, I feel like we need a coach that needs to be at Spurs. Like we need a coach that sees Spurs as like a big opportunity to prove himself because if there isn't a desperate belief, uh, a desperation, I think is the right word. Like a, a desperation to show and prove. Then we'll get another Jose. We'll get another Conte that says, it's not me. It's them. This club doesn't have it together. And I think a, a, a coach that is, really trying to prove themselves and maybe use Spurs as a stepping stone to go to Juve or Madrid or Barca. Um, I think that type of coach is going to just try a lot harder to make things work because they can't say, well, I've won everywhere else. So it's not me. 
Like they'll actually need to make it work to prove that they're good. Um, and I also think that a new coach with new ideas will bring a certain type of energy to the team that a coach that feels like he's already done everything that needs to be done probably isn't going to. Um, so for me, Nagelsmann fits the bill, uh, especially the way that it ended at Bayern. I think the next job that he takes is a good opportunity for him to be like, no, I'm actually really good. And Spurs is a big job, but it's certainly not as big as Bayern. It's not the same level of scrutiny. And I think you'll have a little bit more rope to be able to figure it out. Um, the other coach that I'm really looking at is Ruben Amarim from Sporting, who's done a really great job there. And I think Spurs would be a good step up for him to be able to say like, yeah, I'm actually ready for the big leagues. And so yeah. like, I think they, whoever the coach is needs to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder that says, listen, I'm better than you think I am. And I'm going to use this Spurs club to prove it. Um, Cause without that little sense of indignation, I don't think, um, I mean, I'm just looking at the way that the club's been around the past few years. And like, I also think a, a team, uh, a coach that comes in with a little bit of an FU attitude is also going to instill that in the players. And I think they'll actually play with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, which is what's been missing. Yeah. I think all around um, some energy from our manager would be nice and, and positive galvanizing energy that's 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 all i'm looking for um a guy that can come in and and truly like make the job his own in a way that gets the boys like happy to play for tottenham and i think you do that you sign some players you sell some players you know it's not the end of the world um yeah just gotta just gotta keep fighting spurs that's it so we talked about 14 points. Was it 16 points out of the last 10 games? <laughs> I'm going to go back to the counter. I was like, I was like, how many have we got? Uh, so far. So we've played seven of the last 10 games. We have got, we've got three left. Uh, draw to Everton, beat Brighton, lost to Burnmouth, lost to Newcastle, draw Man United, lost to Liverpool, beat Crystal Palace. So that's three, four five eight eight points yeah so i think <laughs> uh the only way we get 16 we 16 we need eight more points so what is that um there's, there's no way we could get 16 points there's no way to get 16 we, points we get right. 17 yeah because we you, get 17 right yeah, yeah. so if you win all three, three you get 17 you could get 15 Right. No possible way to get 16. So Villa away is the next match. By the time you hear this, it'll be Friday. So it'll be tomorrow's game. And it felt like our season kind of ended against Milan. Like that was like the big, like, ah, uh, let down. And then we had the game against Newcastle, which was like, all right, this is the last gasp to finish top four. And then we know what happened there. So this is like the last, last chance. <laughs> because I think we have to beat New 
Aston Villa if we want to get European football. Um, just going back to what I was saying earlier, top four is pretty much done. Liverpool's now in fifth. They have a five-point lead on us. They've won like something crazy, like eight games in a row to jump up to fifth place. So I don't think we're going to be able to catch them. We are currently in sixth with a two-point lead on Brighton, but Brighton has two games in hand. So unless they completely fall apart, for all intents and purposes, Brighton is probably going to finish in sixth place. So that basically leaves us in seventh with Aston Villa only three points behind us. And if they beat us on Saturday, we're tied on points with two games to go. And then it gets really dicey. Um, our final two games of the season are against Brentford, Brentford at home and Leeds away. Aston Villa's final two games of the season after they play Spurs is Liverpool away and Brighton at home. So they have got, they've got a tougher run in than we do for sure. And I would say if you look at Brighton's run in, it's not the it's not the easiest either. They play Arsenal, Newcastle, Man City, and Villa. And the only easy game I feel like they have is Southampton. They're playing well, two teams that are trying on, to win the championship. Right, yeah. So Brighton's on 33, so they have five games left. Yeah, but I'm saying four of them are against teams right. in the top eight. So like they're so like, you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yes. <laughs> wow. So I, I didn't. I, 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 not... I didn't know what their schedule looked like until I just looked at it just now as you started talking, and I was like, oh, that's actually not. That's actually pretty difficult. Like, if that was our schedule, I'd be like, ooh. So in theory, <laughs> if Brighton lose to Arsenal and lose to Newcastle, then that's their two games in hand. Yes. Um, and they still have to play City as well. So like and we actually Villa could again. finish sixth. We could. We could. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> that would also require us winning out, which is yes. probably I don't I don't even want to say anything about that. Um in case you haven't noticed, we haven't done game predictions in a while. <laughs> I mean probably just it's because not, it's not it's, it's not it's, fun predicting like no, it's not like yeah, shellackings. That's not fun. <laughs> but well, I will I, say I, I would have never predicted that clean sheet though. I was I definitely <laughs> There's um, no way I was predicting we were going to beat Palace 1-0. <laughs> like, that doesn't even sound like a Tottenham Palace scoreline. Uh, yeah, usually Palace scorelines are like 4-0 or like 1-1 or we get beat 1-0. Right. Villa's been playing some good football ever since they've signed Unai Emery. And and if I look at their current form, um, they've actually lost Sorry. their last two matches 1-0. They lost to Wolves away and lost to United away. Prior to that, though, they hadn't lost a game in, sheesh, like nine matches. They The last game that they lost was in February, and they didn't lose again until basically like two weeks ago. <laughs> so uh, they were in a really, really good form. They've lost the last two games without scoring a goal. And so I, were, I do think they're also they will, away. So it's like, you know, 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I that that goes into what I was going to say, which is like I think okay. they're going to they're going to come into Saturday's game raring to go, not only because they'll be back home, but also because I think they'll want to prove that they can finish in a European place, particularly when you look at their last three games, Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Brighton at home. Like they don't have an easy match. And if you look at those three games, like they're probably looking at Spurs as the game that they have to win. So yeah, yeah, we're going to be up against it on Saturday. And I feel like that is a game that for Spurs is pretty much going to, unless you're assuming that Brighton is going to collapse like this is the game that you have to win if you want to play European football next year. So big game, uh, probably the really the last big game for us because uh, the last two matches, it, it's hard to really find excitement against Brentford and Leeds. So I don't know if it's worth doing predictions, but I do feel like there were some good signs that we saw against Palace. I think Mason has boosted the morale a little bit. And I think this is a good opportunity for them to show a little bit of metal. And so I think if they're able to show up on the road against a tough Villa side who's well coached and get a result, then that's going to also change how confident I am going into the last two games against Brentford and Leeds. Uh, Brentford, I think, is probably a tougher game on the road. We'll be playing them at home. So that's a game I'd like to get a result from as well. And then that Leeds game, which looks probably a little bit easy on paper, depending on what happens in the next couple of weeks, that could be the difference for them between staying up and going down. So I don't see that Leeds game being particularly easy, particularly if, if they're trying to stay in the prem. Um, they're going to give everything they got so yeah I this feels like a game that's going to in many ways decide what our confidence is for the rest of the season um and 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 tell the players whether or not they have something to continue playing for yeah I agree um I definitely think like Villa's a a good they've been a good squad for quite a while um like consistently building on what they've done week to week um getting wins against decent teams um so it's gonna be tough but i i do think like we're we're showing our team has been showing like a we don't give up attitude and i think going into a game with that kind of attitude away from home is important um so yeah i think you know it's very possible that we draw this game is possible we lose it's possible we win it I, I think this kind of game could go either way depending on um like both teams how they show up um but I expect it's I actually do expect it to be a good game um I think though there should be chances on both sides so um yeah looking forward to it actually anything can happen and that is the beauty of football so yeah. let's hope for the best and come on you Spurs Come on, you Spurs.